Every single one of you will come back and you will be more or less of one thing, more or less of another. You will become something over the course of the next month and a half. You will be more forgiving or more bitter. One of the two. You'll be more kind or you'll be more brash. You'll be more charitable or you'll be more selfish. You will become more of one thing and you'll become less of another. And I'm going to argue tonight through the scriptures that in all of this becoming, suffering is involved. In all of it, suffering is involved. Who or what are you becoming? It's the backdrop of the sermon tonight and the conversation uh, and my prayer um, is that none of you in this room would lose heart as you become more and more like Christ. So... Uh, would you put up for me, Daniel, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I don't know if these are in order. Uh, sort of did things backwards. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Great. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's a tough line. I was talking to Kirsten about this earlier. Kirsten preached on a section of... Um, 2 Corinthians earlier about uh, us being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And, um, and that's, that wording is a little bit different. And being transformed from one degree of glory to another implies that, that this next degree is better than the last degree. And I will become increasingly more and more and more like Christ in this way. Paul here is not saying that each and every day we will, we will um, experience less sufferings or something like this. He's saying that day by day, Day by day, our outer self is wasting away and day by day, our inner self is being renewed. That this is, I will wake up tomorrow and go through some of the same process of my outer self wasting and my inner self being renewed day after day after day. But we do not lose heart, though this is happening. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This light momentary affliction, if you have been tracking with us with what Paul has said, affliction is a, such a strong word and he means it. I think last week I went through some of what he had been through uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beatings and, and, and left for dead and shipwrecked and betrayed by friends, imprisoned, uh, uh, whipped multiple times. And he's able to look at the suffering that he experiences in life and he's able to say, slight momentary affliction. It, it's supposed to be a little ironic. Uh, most of us, all of us in this room, not, not a sing, or not a single one of us, rather, has been through what Paul has been through. But how many of us would say that the sufferings we experience just are really just like a light momentary affliction? That they're just like trash compared to the surpassing glory of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul's able to say that these are light momentary afflictions compared to this eternal weight of glory that's being prepared in us. Affliction and glory. Affliction just meaning a suffering that's sort of happening to you. That's what we're talking about tonight, how these things go together. Let's pray. Father, um, would, you help, would you help me? The thoughts in my mind, the feelings that I feel, the words that come out of my mouth, would they be pleasing and honoring to you? 
Would they speak truth according to how you've revealed it in history? I pray that your spirit would be on the loose in this room, giving all of us courage to lift our eyes and look to the things unseen and the mystery that that is. And may you help us to see the sufferings that we face as light, momentary afflictions. Father, please help all of us not to lose heart as we talk about this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, Daniel, we put up the picture of my little boy, if you got it. Okay, so this is my little boy. Oh, that was my little boy. That's Jack. Uh, he's my first one. That's not Anna. Anna's my wife's name. She's really cool. Uh, so on the right, there's the date up there, um, uh, July 16th, 2008. So this is roughly uh, October, three months before he was born, 90 days before he was born. Um, he was born October 12th. So this is 90 days before he was born. This is our firstborn. Um, he's uh, now six. So this is, you know, uh, almost seven years ago now, I guess. And uh, uh, we have two girls as well. But this was our first one. And, and this was the, the easiest one to find um, digitally. You know, when you have later kids, we stop scanning everything and taking it so serious and whatever. So uh, we're, we'll get around to that, I promise. Uh, I love my girls. Uh, so this is Jack, and, and he's in the womb right now. And he's, uh, at this point in life, I can't tell you guys how crazy the ultrasound experience is. It's weird, because I've seen like, like, like with him in particular, because it was our first child. I remember going in, and before you could see anything like this, and when I'm pretending to know what I'm looking at, and it's just like a little circle, um, it, like I, I had no idea. They're like, oh my, my wife is like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, yeah, it's like a space in your tummy. Um, and that, that's kind of what I was looking at before this. Um, but I remember them putting, putting the, the, the things on her stomach, and then you could hear his heartbeat. And I remember having this weird experience where I was like, I have heard this exact sound dozens of times in like movies and stuff, right? Like I've, it doesn't sound any, but, but it's mine this time. I mean, and I just broke. Like I mean, I just broke. I started bawling and bawling and I was like, oh my gosh. Like it just became real to me. I mean, I know it's like been in her stomach and what, but that's not real yet, you know? And then that, that sort of happened again is like I began to see something that looked like a face and then something, hand-ish thing. Uh, and, uh, and then later when I saw him like kick on, the, on her stomach and I can actually see a little foot coming out of her skin. It was, I mean, it's crazy. She'd say, Jason, feel. And I put my hand on her stomach and I could feel like his elbow moving across. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's his head. She's like, no, that's his butt. And I'm like, I don't know the difference. And, and you know, <laughs> you sort of got all that sort of experience. It was really, really wild, y'all, really wild. And in the womb, I have to imagine it's gotta be like, uh, like it's the opposite side of life, but it's gotta be like one of the best retirement gigs ever, right? I mean, he's not doing anything. He sits there, kicks, all the food is provided. He's very comfortable. I think he's floating around in his urine or something, which is sort of gross. But like, uh, I don't know, some of you know like the exact specifics. I just, the whole thing's sort of weird to me. But, uh, but in any case, like he's, he, he, seems, he seems really comfortable. Like even later on when we, when we would like talk to him or sing to him or something, he, he seemed like he would respond a little bit and whatever. And I mean, there's a, I imagine that inside the womb of my, of my wife's stomach, I imagine that he was so comfortable and so safe and warm and everything was provided for him. But what is my hope for him? Like, like my hope is not that he stays like that forever. My hope is that he becomes a boy and, and grows into a man and more that he becomes a son of God and, and, and furthermore that he one day would be resurrected in a glorified body and living with Jesus Christ on a resurrected earth forever and ever reigning under the worship of God. That's my hope. I see this and my hope is that. 
So let's imagine for just a second that, that he and I could, could communicate really well and he has sort of uh, outstanding cognitive abilities in the womb. Uh, and I can use like a stethoscope or whatever the scope thing's called to, to like hear and, and he could do something to talk. We could somehow communicate and I'm like, man, I'm so excited for you to become a boy and become a man. Like I'm so excited for you to grow up. And he's like, man, me too, I can't wait. And I'm like, here's the trick. There's this little thing called birth and it's gonna hurt. <laughs> like, I, I mean, it's gonna be okay. And he's like, wait, wait, well, what's gonna happen? And I'm like, well... It's going to be disgusting, and, it, and you're, and you're going to have to go through a little tiny space, and it's going to squish your head a lot, and you're going to come out, and you're going to scream, and everybody's going to cheer when you scream, and he's like, but I'm going to scream because it's going to suck. Like, I was just warm, and now I'm cold, and, and I was getting everything provided for me, and now I, I, my lungs hurt because I've never actually breathed oxygen before. And so when I scream and then they expand really quickly, I can feel things stretch and pop and ping and it's gonna hurt like crazy. And then this crazy doctor ladies and nurse people are gonna like grab you by your feet and like stamp them on things and cut little things and like clean you on you and you're gonna cry and cry, but then I'm gonna hold you and it's gonna be great. And he's like, yeah, but, but then I'm like gonna, you guys aren't gonna know what to do. Like you guys have never been parents before and it's gonna suck. And you're not gonna know what I mean when I'd cry and all these kinds of things. And I'm gonna be like, I don't know. And you know, like, I won't know how to change your diaper. And it's sorry, you used to be able to just swim in this stuff. And now I gotta like get you naked. And you know, like I, if I could get in the womb and explain to him what he was going to have to go through in order to be a man, honestly, y'all, I just don't think he'd be up for it. Like, I think he would say, I'm, I'm fine. And, and partly because he'd never seen the other side of it. Like he's never been a man yet. And so for as much as I tell him that you're going to be a man, it's going to be great. Like, I just wonder if he could have communicated, if he would say, can we just not do the birth thing? Can I just live here forever? And unfortunately, if he doesn't actually, if he's not actually born, he will die. He has no option. He's going to do one thing or the other. He will die or he will be born. That's it. That's the only two options. My point is that he's becoming something. One way or the other. And I want him to become something. That's my hope. But if he doesn't endure the suffering of birth, he will not become a man. He'll become something less than one. He needs to suffer the birth to have the glory of becoming a man. Every single one of us has gone through this. Women and men have gone through this. And the point isn't that suffering is good. Nobody likes the suffering. It never is at the point. The point isn't that suffering is good, it's that without it, I wouldn't have seen some of the glory of my son. If he didn't suffer well through the birthing process, and my wife did not suffer through that process, I wouldn't be able to behold some of the glory of Jackson, David, Leonard. And this, of course, I think speaks to those of us in the room who've carefully constructed a womb around ourselves with headphones and multimedia stuff everywhere busyness all the time in response to a world that might be terrifying i don't know what's going to happen when this that and the other take place and so i I just i want to be warm and cozy and safe but what are we refusing to become by doing that And what will we become if we never leave the womb? If, if the patterns and the structures and the way in which you have decided that your life needs to be lived to avoid suffering, if that never changes ever, what will you become? Because it will be something. You will become more and less of something or more or less of something. Either way, you're becoming. And in either way, either uh, 
side of becoming, suffering is intimately involved in the whole process. We entertain it or we avoid it. We enter into it or we keep it out. And the whole time we're becoming something more and we're becoming something less. Would you, would you um, do me a favor and put up Romans chapter 8? I don't know where it is on the slides. Paul says this in uh, his letter to the Roman church. He says uh, in Romans chapter 8, which I think is one of the best chapters in the whole Bible. I don't know if you're supposed to have favorites, but that's one of mine. Um, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this sounds very similar to what he said to the Corinthians. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us or to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons or or sons and daughters of God is probably a better translation. That's crazy. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I'll come back and talk about it, but let me just finish this out. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await adoption as sons or daughters, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Something very similar Paul kicks off with to what he said to the Corinthians, right? I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that's beyond comparison. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this. It's crazy that all of the universe, all of God's creation, all of it, heaven, which was created, all of it, is is, is hanging, is hinging upon the sons and daughters of God. Adam and Eve broke it. Now, in some ways, actually speaks to the glory of mankind. In some ways, you are so significant that all of creation is waiting for you to become who God wanted you to become. With eager longing, it waits. I don't know exactly what that means. Paul probably is speaking metaphorically here, okay? I don't know if trees are actually thinking, man, if only, Matt, if only Manny would just become a son of God, then we'll be good. Yeah, I don't know if a tree's actually thinking that, but Paul thinks this metaphor is really appropriate for us to realize that, that all of creation, all of it, was subjected to sin because of our rebellion. And its redemption is hinging upon our redemption, upon our becoming children of God, sons and daughters of God, adopted by him because of Jesus. One of the things that's crazy in here to me This is a big question. When you became, if you're a Christian and you consider yourself saved, what is the hope in which you were saved? What is the thing you hope for? I'll come back to that in a second. Paul talks about glory, and I want to talk about this word for just a second and then flesh that out. Glory is a crazy word. It's a big word. I don't think we know what to do with it much. And to be honest, I don't know if the Hebrews or the Greeks knew what to do with it much either because it just has so many connotations. It has like, um, when we talk about glory, there's all these things like like heaviness, like literally weight is one aspect of that word, weight. Honor 
is another aspect of that where we might, we might readily identify with some of that. But beauty also, it, based on how it was used, particularly in Hebrew, sometimes it was used to connote that, that there was like this weightiness of something. Sometimes that it was just honoring something. Sometimes it was that something was beautiful. And other times it was that it was bright. Literally like light was radiating off of something. And glory just combines kind of all of these words. It's this huge word. And Paul says that this is our hope, our glory, our honor, our weightiness, our beauty, our brightness, some amalgam of all that in the word glory. Our hope, the hope in which we were saved is the glory we will have in our resurrected bodies. Is that what you think about when you think about what you hope for? That's what, this is the hope, this, for in this hope we were saved, Paul says. The glory that comes in our resurrected bodies. Perhaps, perhaps you refuse to endure suffering. That's a strong way of saying it. Perhaps you avoid suffering. Perhaps you, you, you're afraid of any kind of suffering or affliction. Perhaps you, I, 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 I thought about this last week and this image is in my mind a lot. I just imagine suffering that we can foresee. I, I think that so many of us uh, like basically take like a road cone and put it right where suffering is to remind us not to go there and to, and to just take this very circuitous route all throughout life just trying to avoid as much suffering as we can. And, and I wonder if maybe perhaps if you do that, perhaps you do it because you haven't ever yet understood glory and the glory that's set out for you. I mean, have do you know what's promised to you? you? You can't, in some ways, think about this too much. With the biblical commands over and over again to keep our sights set on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Do you know what's promised to you? I said some of this about my son. But if Jesus has his way in your life, if, him, if he as Lord and he is faithful, if he is your Lord, he will lead you to this. He will, if he's your Lord. He will lead you to this, guaranteed. You have the option, though, to not have him be your master, and you're welcome to serve any other number of masters, which, which will ultimately just be you. But with Jesus as Lord, here's where he'll lead you. He will lead you through death. I'm sorry, I am sorry because it's a kind of suffering, and it's the fruit of sin, um, and it's a reality, and I think even kind of a mercy that we can get into some other time if you want, but like we will all die, all of us. And God would lead you through that, though, because what Jesus talks, what Jesus teaches through his word is that not only will Christians be resurrected, but everybody will be resurrected. Everybody's going to make it through death. And everybody's going to stand before him one day. And his desire is that he, as Lord, he, as Lord, would have the power for you to be adopted as a son or daughter of God. He, and and, the, and the, the language gets so crazy because I don't know which one we're supposed to pick because in one sense we're sons and daughters of God and in another sense we're brothers of Jesus or sisters of Jesus co-heirs with Christ Paul says in this very chapter and then in the other sense and perhaps the most uh, robust one in scripture is that we're actually called the bride corporately the bride of Christ so I don't know which one you want to land on but it's really really intimate familial language and God would invite you into that. If you think to yourself, man, you know what? It would be so much easier if I could just see Jesus in the flesh. Interestingly enough, that's his promise. That's his promise. The reason you, you actually have a desire for that is because you were built to want that. That's his, you will reign forever and ever with Jesus on the new resurrected earth. If there's a part of you that's like, man, I just don't know. This is me, y'all. Maybe some of you are totally fine with the clouds and the harps and stuff. But I really like earth a lot. 
I don't mean earth outside of the lordship of Christ. I mean like it's hard for me to imagine that like that trees in and of themselves are just bad things because they're not. People are not bad. Bodies are not bad. You're promised to have a physical body forever on the new earth in Christ. When we, this is the stuff the scripture teaches. If you want to talk about glory, we have to start talking about reigning under the worship of this Revelation 21, the first few verses there. Reigning under the worship of God as sons and daughters over all creation, dwelling with Christ in a time where there'll be no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain, no more tears, none of that. And, and, and when we have our, our, our desires, when we, when we actually hone in on them and we realize that, man, what I want is I just don't want to hurt anymore. And I go, praise God that he's promised a time with no more hurt. And I go, what I, what I want is I just wish I could talk to him face to face. And I go, praise God that he's actually given us a place for that. What I want is to be known and loved and to not have to fight so hard to even understand who I am. I go, praise God that he's promised that for our future. But if we don't think about that, if we think the hope for that in which we were saved is something else, why would you endure the sufferings that come in this world? What else would make any of it worth it? If you've ever had anybody in your life that's close to you die, what makes that okay? Nothing. Nothing I can think of unless, unless that person will be resurrected and live forever and look back on their own death and say, totally worth it. That's the only thing. But I can't proclaim that over them. They must proclaim that over themselves, but they have to be resurrected to say that. I don't know anything else that's going to be worth it, y'all. Perhaps some of us don't think about suffering and we avoid suffering because we've never actually understood the glory that's promised us in Christ. We don't think about what he's actually told us to have hope and confidence in. And instead we try to have hope and confidence in something else. And we wonder why it's not working. Right now, I suspect, this is in, in, in light of the language of becoming, I suspect that most of us in this room could not bear the weight of 10 minutes of utter silence. I'm so tempted. But you start freaking out. Most of you have anxiety attacks. Some of, some of you probably, if it was straight 10 minutes of silence, some of you might actually get up and leave because you couldn't handle it. But the promise of God is not only, you right now can hardly bear the weight of silence and God would have you reign over all creation. There's work to be done. There's a weight of glory that needs to be brought about in you. When God tells us to endure through sufferings, it's to that end. It's to that end. It's not just for this one moment. It's not just for this one activity. It's not because if I do this, then I get that tomorrow or next month or next year, whatever. It's to the end of the res restoration or redemption or renewal, pick your word, of all things in the end. A picture of the hope is why any woman would ever endure childbirth. Because they have a picture in their mind of holding their baby. Without a picture of your hope, I don't think you stand a chance to endure suffering. And would you go back to that 2 Corinthians passage again real quick in 4? I think it was the first one up. I want you to notice in here that Paul says, right in the middle here, he, he says, uh, the light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look 
as we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, which is, a stra- which is strange language. How do you look at things unseen? Uh, whatever, kung fu. Um, guys, the men's advance is pretty fun. Uh, as, as we look, as we look, he says, it's only in light of eternity that our sufferings produce this weight of glory. If you don't keep your mind focused on that, then what's the, why would you endure other sufferings? Do not suffer, Peter would say this, don't suffer for man's sake. Suffering in and of itself is stupid. It's really just stupid. There's absolutely no point in it. God does not like suffering himself. If you remember Jesus in the garden, one of the biggest theological conundrums is, is, is Jesus praying to the Father, asking for another way. Because he didn't like suffering. Who does like suffering? I'm so thankful, y'all. There, there's stories in, in, the, in the first couple centuries after the church was started of martyrs. Maybe you've heard these from some conservative grandmother or something. Um, like of martyrs standing in the middle of an arena having their, their stomachs like ripped out by lions and they're singing psalms. This actually happened. It actually happened. I can't imagine that. Somebody's sitting up in front of a whole crowd that thinks it's really funny to watch a Christian die by lions, shouting at them, let your God save you, let your God save you. It sounds an awful lot like Jesus on the cross. If you're the king, come on down from there. Or Satan in the desert, command your angels to help you, to minister to you. And the crowds chanting at the Christian, let your God save you, and a lion rips out their loins and their stomach. And the whole time they're just singing songs. That's like true stories. It's crazy. You can read about those things. And I hear that, I read that story and I go, I'm so thankful that I'm called to be more like Christ than that person. Because <laughs> I can really identify with sitting in a garden going, God, please give me something else. I don't know how to identify with getting eaten by a lion singing songs. Um, it, it, but th- this, is the, this is the path that's been set before us by Christ. He endured suffering and he kept his eyes fixed on what was ahead of him. I don't know how he would have endured it if he didn't do that. And I don't know how you can anticipate enduring suffering at all if you don't keep your eyes fixed on something far off, far off country, the new heaven and the new earth, your resurrected bodies, dwelling with Christ in the flesh. There's no hope in suffering if it is not in light of eternity. For some of you, uh, as Kirsten and I were talking about this, it's, it gets a little daunting talking about suffering because some of you are probably in the middle of suffering that you don't need to be in. And in a weird way, you actually might feel safer in the middle of that suffering than, than risking some other kind. And the only thing I can tell you is, is there is no suffering that God is He will not be preparing an eternal weight of glory in you unless that suffering is in light of his kingdom, is in light of his future work in your life. And so I would suggest that you go find some friends and you talk to them about suffering in your life and you may wanna ask them, do you see how God is working out his glory in my life through this suffering? Or is it just suffering because I'm not following God? Is it just suffering because I don't have my eyes fixed on the prize? Is it just suffering because I don't know what else to do and I don't trust Jesus? It's a little bit of an aside, I just, I gotta say it. I want you all to think about um, suffering in this way. Uh, and I gotta end tonight with, a, with some stuff from C.S. Lewis. He's uh, probably the most influential writer in my life. Not probably, he is the most influential writer in my life. Um, and, and he wrote uh, what I think is one of the best sermons of all time. I posted it to our uh, student group on Facebook. It's called The Weight of Glory. 
It's nine pages, if that matters to you. Um, uh, <clears throat> but he also sort of fleshed out this idea in a fiction book that he wrote. So he wrote a book called The Great Divorce. Um, and C.S. Lewis had this idea he, that he wrestled with. He said, you know, if a million chances would do any good, I believe God would give them. If a million chances mattered, I think God would give a million chances. That's the kind of God I know. And he, he, he tinkered with this idea and he wrote a story he imagined that there was a bus that left hell on a round trip all the time to heaven. And it would take anybody that wanted to go to heaven if they wanted to go. And he just imagined how this would play itself out. And the, the protagonist of the story, that's called The Great Divorce, and the, the bus uh, picks this guy up and um, as he gets uh, right on the, out the outskirts, the fringes, and this is all, you know, all metaphor or whatever, it's fiction, right? But, but this is, um, I think, incredible the way uh, he worded this. This bus parks on the very fringes of heaven, as if that's a thing, I, I don't know. But it's on the outskirts, as, as far away as you can get from the center without actually being out of heaven, and it parks right there. And the guy starts looking out the window, and the, and, the, and the sky is so bright that it hurts his eyes. And he doesn't want to go out because it's safe in the bus, and now he just would rather go back home. But somehow, through the course of some prodding, he ends up stepping outside the bus, and when he steps down off the last step onto the grass, he screams in pain because the grass is like razor blades poking through his feet all the way through. He doesn't see blood and it weirds him out, but he can feel the pain of this grass going all the way through his feet. And he looks up to talk to somebody about what's happening and he can't understand their words and their words hurt his ears. And he is thinking to himself, why would anybody like this place? It doesn't make any sense why anybody would like this place. Everything hurts. As you go through the story, one of the things he finds out is the reason why the grass poked up through his feet is because the grass was more real than he was. And the reason why his eyes hurt so much at the sky is because the light there was more substantial than he was. And when people talked, he had never heard real singing before. And, the, and, the, and his eardrums were not developed enough yet, so he didn't hear before. And Lewis, as this character begins to move closer and closer to the mountain in the middle, Lewis pictures this, this protagonist becoming more and more real. And there comes this moment when all of a sudden he notices that the grass is folding under his feet as he gets closer and closer. And he can all of a sudden understand the words again. And all of a sudden, the things that at first were so repulsive to him that become really desirable for him as he becomes more fit to live in that place. It's called The Great Divorce. It's excellent. I highly recommend it. It's really short too, which is great. Christmas read. Go for it. Uh, I'm bringing that up to, to, to say this. Do you know that when you follow Christ, he would have you become more of who you are, not less? He asks you to lay down your life, but then he promises he wants to give it to you. And on the other side of suffering, on the other side of laying down life, what we hear for 2,000 years is Christian after Christian saying, it's worth it. I am more of who I am. I am more me than I ever was, ever was before Jesus. And there's pain involved and there's suffering involved. As at first, when I began to try to live in the kingdom of God in, my, in, the, in the midst of this world, when I began to live that way, I wasn't fit to live well there and there was suffering that I needed to endure as I grew up. Like I said last week, my little boy actually has growing pains in his legs from growing up and we will need to experience things like this. But this is the promise of God, that you will become more and more substantial. John actually says that in 1 John chapter 3, he says not a single one of us actually knows ourselves fully. 
But when we see Christ for who he is, then we will know ourselves fully. Do you, all of creation, in the other passage, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Do you know that? All of creation is waiting for you to be revealed. That is what Christ has in store. But Paul in 2 Corinthians is saying that this will not happen apart from some suffering. But I want to end tonight by just meditating on this for a second. I want you guys to think about how great you are, which is a really dangerous thing. I got to talk about this briefly because I want you to know, um, I think this language is really great and I think it can help something sink in. Um, it's from that sermon, this, this sermon called The Weight of Glory, which is based out of this passage that I'm teaching on tonight. And, and Lewis says right before this thing I'm going to read, he says, we can, we can think far too much about our own glory, but we can never think too much about our neighbors, ever. And that would be fantastic if not a single person in this room in a community of Christians, some of you may not be Christians, some of you probably aren't Christians, but many of you are, but it would be so fantastic if in a community of Christians, nobody had to worry about their own identity and glory because everybody else was affirming it. And all I had to do was meditate on yours because there's no risk of pride for me if I'm worried about telling you how great you are in the, in the eyes of Jesus. Will you put that, uh, that, that it's a little bit of a longer thing. But Lewis says this at the end of his sermon. He says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are in some degree, all day long in some degree, we are helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. That's some good stuff. You have never talked to a mere mortal. The person to your right, the person to your left, they were made on purpose by the creator of the universe, redeemed by his blood, and he desires to bring them into the new creation to reign. Every single one of us will outlast the stars in this universe. Every single one. In light of that, what are your sufferings? When we consider the sufferings we face in life, what God would have us keep in mind is the future, our hope, our resurrection, and our glory. That's what he'd have us become, but not all of us will do that. Though most of us, I think, in this room, I said earlier, cannot bear the weight of 10 minutes of silence, some in this room will one day judge angels. <laughs> angels. It's wild. First Corinthians chapter 4. But there's others in this room who cannot right now bear the weight of 10 minutes of silence. And increasingly or decreasingly every day you will be able to bear less and less and less. We are all moving in one direction or the other. Every single one of us. And perhaps the afflictions and sufferings in your life are not simply inconveniences and things to navigate around and things to wish weren't, you wish weren't there perhaps they're the very way that God is trying to make you like Jesus. 
And I hope, I hope that you think about what you're becoming in light of your sufferings over the next two weeks, over finals, over Thanksgiving, over Christmas. My prayer is that you will share in Christ's sufferings in order that you might share in his glory. And that as you see his power work in you, that you would know all the afflictions that you face. And brothers and sisters, we can help carry these with each other. My hope is that you would see the afflictions that you face be light and momentary as you look to the eternal weight of glory that God is preparing in you. If he has begun a work in you like this, he will finish it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you right now train everybody's minds not on the sufferings and afflictions that they face, but on the hope of glory. That your spirit would help disbelief become belief. That you would help all of us to see that all of the idols and the ways that we try to bring hope into our life Help us to see the futility in them and how you really do address all the things we desire. Would you give us the courage to seek you in the midst of our sufferings? And because there's a bunch of us in a room together, would you help us love each other and carry these burdens for each other because I am certain that my brother's burden is far lighter than mine. Help us to think often about all the things that you've promised us and let us press on in this upward calling. Help us to um, lift our voices and our hands and our hearts and our minds um, as we proclaim truth through song to you right now. Would you take pleasure in it to be pleased with your children? And help us to be faithful in this um, and to know that you love us as we do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.